y'all. Welcome to What a Crime to Be Alive. I'm Carly. And this is Pinky. Um, and today we are kind of doing like a different thing from what we usually do. Um, I'm in Ashland like I usually am, but Pinky is actually in Lexington. Yeah, I'm in Lexington. So we're trying out remote recording and um, I'll make the announcement a little later on, but we're trying to do some new stuff for you guys as well as really um, push and market this show to the next level. So we're experimenting today, but it should be all good. Um, And our case today is the death of Michelle O'Connell. I say the death because this case is still open. Um, it really doesn't have a, uh, concrete finish to it. Uh, some people think it was homicide. Some people think it was suicide. So for now, we'll just be calling it the death of Michelle O'Connell, but, um, let us know what you guys think. Um, give us some feedback on this one because this one's very interesting to me. I think it's a homicide. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) (laughs) On the afternoon of September 2nd, 2010, 24 year old Michelle O'Connell was having lunch with her sister Chrissy in their hometown of St. Augustine, Florida. That night, Chrissy was scheduled to watch Michelle's daughter, which was her niece, four year old Alexis, while Michelle and her boyfriend, Jeremy Banks, went to a Paramore concert. Jeremy was a sheriff's deputy at St. John's County and had been introduced to Michelle through Michelle's brother, James, who was also local law enforcement. Michelle and Jeremy had been dating roughly around a year at this point, but Michelle had actually planned to break up with Jeremy that night following the concert. You see, the O'Connell family didn't exactly love Jeremy. They had seen signs of him being physically and verbally abusive towards Michelle. They hated that, but they mostly hated it for Michelle's daughter, Alexis, because she lived with Jeremy and Michelle. So whatever happened in the house, they were sure Alexis would see and hear. Um, Was Jeremy the father? He was not the father. Um, So yeah, Alexis was born by a different dad. But uh, from what I can tell, the dad was not in the picture. So Jeremy kind of stepped in as that father figure. Gotcha. Chrissy actually begged Michelle not to go to the concert because she knew that Michelle and Jeremy would argue the entire time. However, Michelle had already paid for the tickets, so she insisted on going. Her exact words were, I paid for the tickets. I'm going. I'm breaking up with him. I'm starting my life over. I'll be fine. Michelle also kind of saw this concert and break from mommy duties as a celebration because she just accepted her dream job position. She was going to be working at a daycare center and would be eligible for health insurance for her and Alexis. So she was just really excited. Chrissy was like, fine, okay, go. And found it reassuring that their brother, Sean, would be going with them to St. Augustine Amphitheater for the concert as well. Before Michelle, Sean, and Jeremy loaded up to head to the show, Michelle dropped Alexis off at Chrissy's house where Alexis would stay until Michelle picked her up after the concert. The three got to the concert and it was just kind of a drag. Michelle and Jeremy had been fighting before and during the concert and Jeremy just obviously wasn't having a good good time. Michelle's brother, Sean, said that Jeremy was very withdrawn and in his own world. So Sean leans over to Jeremy and says, do you mind scooting over? If you're not going to have fun at the concert with my sister, I'm definitely going to. So first of all, Sean is my hero for that that's amazing Sean wasn't about to let him shade his sister at the Paramore concert do you know who Paramore is yeah they're like low-key gothy right 
I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that. They were definitely like popular during the, I would say like the, the emo phase of my high school years and so like early college. Twilight-ish? No. <laughs> no. Actually, their music isn't that bad at all. Like I'm not a huge rock fan, but yeah. uh, the lead vocalist, I forgot her name. She's super dope. She has a really good voice. And uh, like I said, for back in the day, I thought it was decent music. Maybe I'll check it out. Um, no, I won't, but, <laughs> but I will include a picture of Michelle and Sean having fun at the concert from that night. During the concert, Michelle's sister, Chrissy, started receiving very upsetting and confusing text messages from Michelle. Um, so what we're going to do here is I'm going to read Michelle's text messages and Pinky is going to read Chrissy's text messages. So Michelle first off says, promise me one thing, Lexi will be happy and always have a good life. Promise you what? That no matter what, Lexi will always be safe and loved. What's going on? I'm scared. After these melancholic text messages between the sisters, their conversation goes back to normal and ends with Michelle saying that she would be there soon to pick Alexis up. But Michelle never made it. Alexis never saw her mother again, and Chrissy never spoke to her sister again. According to ABC News, on the way home from the concert, Michelle told Jeremy that she would have her things out by the weekend, to which Jeremy replied, are we breaking up? Michelle said yes, and then the two argued for some time until they arrived home. The couple gets home, and at this point, I am assuming they either dropped Sean off or maybe he even drove separately, because when they got home, they were alone until two of Jeremy's friends stopped by to chat. Michelle was in the house while Jeremy and his friends were inside the garage. During this, Michelle ran outside to the car to get her makeup bag and went back inside. Jeremy's friends wrap up their conversation and leave, yet Jeremy stays in the garage just sitting on his motorcycle. Suddenly, Jeremy hears a loud pop. He ran inside only to find the bedroom door locked. He heard another loud pop, so he ran over to grab his phone to dial 911 and he busted down the bedroom door to find Michelle's lifeless body with blood surrounding her. At 11.20 p.m., Jeremy called 911, stating that, quote, my girlfriend, I think she just shot herself. There's blood everywhere, end quote. We actually have the 911 call, so listen to this clip and see what you think. Please get something to my office. Please, please, my girlfriend, I think she just shot herself. So one of my favorite things is the statement analysis blog spot. And I actually found out about this website through Crime Junkie. If you haven't heard their podcast, definitely check it out. On the statement analysis blog, professionals take statements such as 911 calls and break them down, analyzing the phrases, tones, etc. that people use. I, of course, use statement analysis for Jeremy Banks's 911 call, so I'll point out some things that stuck out to these professionals. First, they noted that Jeremy didn't ask for help for the victim specifically, but that he just said that he wanted someone to come to come to his house. He never says, quote, my girlfriend shot herself. He only says, I think my girlfriend shot herself. However, if he didn't shoot her and they were the only two home, what is the only other option? Suspicious. <laughs> exactly. During the call, the dispatcher accidentally identifies Jeremy as ma'am. This is so weird to me. Jeremy then says, it's mister, it's sir, like he is demanding to be respected. 
like a cop would (laughs) honestly but this and she the dispatcher actually calls jeremy ma'am several times and like as it goes on he gets more and more irritated like he's like it's sir it's sir and it's just i don't know that's his priority at the moment Right. That's exactly what I'm thinking is he is demanding that she call him, sir. I would be like, dude, I don't care what you call me. Just get somebody here now. Get to the crib. Yeah. ASAP. Jeremy then says, quote, let me tell you the truth, which is weird to me. Like, have you not already been telling the truth? I'm confused. Let me stop lying to you. Yeah. Hold on a second. Let me get my lies in order. Um, and it's like, he just kind of blurted it out. I don't know. It it was just very weird to me. Next, he says, quote, my girlfriend has just shot herself with my duty weapon. So first, he thinks his girlfriend shot herself. Then he says his girlfriend did shoot herself. And now his girlfriend shot herself with his weapon. Right. So he went from thinking to knowing for sure what the weapon was. Right. And this is, I mean, like, it's a 911 call. It's not that long. Like it, I mean, I don't know. It, It just happened very quickly. Upon arriving at the scene, it appeared that no life-saving measures had been taken by Jeremy, and Michelle was pronounced dead at 11.58 p.m. Officers found a gunshot fired into the carpet of the home, two shell casings, and the gun laying to the left side of Michelle's body. Both gunshots that were fired were determined to have come from Jeremy Banks' government-issued service weapon. We will include a picture from the scene thanks to Mind Over Mystery. In addition, officers found loose prescription painkillers in Michelle's pocket and thought that this might have something to do with her mindset that night, causing her alleged suicide. However, upon further examination, the painkillers were from a bottle prescribed to Jeremy Banks and all pills were accounted for. Hmm. According to ABC News, former detective Deborah Maynard was one of the first law enforcement on the scene. She said when she got there, All of the officers were already taking Jeremy's side, saying that that this was a suicide. I say that she's a former detective here because Detective Maynard was fired not long after this night for supposed untruthfulness. However, Detective Maynard claims that she was fired because she refused to lie under oath as as the sheriff wanted her to. So this is me just being like a spelling, grammar, Nazi, and nothing's misspelled or anything like that, but... Mm -hmm. Carly has untruthfulness listed in quotes, and I'm assuming you pulled that from something, right? Yes. What's, what's wrong with dishonesty? Like, <laughs> why are we saying <laughs> untruthfulness? That just sounds like a mouthful, but yeah, right. I don't know. Yeah. Another one of the first law enforcement personnel on the scene was Sergeant Scott Beaver, who told ABC News that his first thought when arriving to the scene was, quote, this is not good for Jeremy. And after working homicide cases for years, the story Jeremy was telling him didn't add up. However, he wasn't assigned to investigate the scene any further. After the fact, the sheriff of St. Johns County, David Shore, told the media that he was aware that his department did not follow proper procedure and instead took the side of fellow officer Jeremy Banks without question. For instance, the officers on the scene did not canvass the neighborhood for witnesses. They did not interview Michelle's family, and they did not interview and photograph Jeremy Banks at the police station. Fellow police officers took Jeremy to one of the squad cars outside of his house to talk with him 
instead of treating him as a suspect and taking him to the police station. The sheriff's deputies blatantly told Michelle's family that she, for a fact, killed herself after only investigating for a few hours, according to ABC News. Michelle's family didn't believe it. They said there was no way she would commit suicide considering she had just accepted a position that she had been praying for. And her daughter, four-year-old Alexis, was her entire life. There's no way she would have left her. Sometime over the course of the investigation into Michelle's alleged suicide, Jeremy Banks admits to searching for and finding investigation paperwork. However, I do not find any information about him ever being reprimanded or discharged. And honestly, I don't know how it works in law enforcement. But for example, when I interned at the local hospital in Ashland, I was not allowed to access my chart or any information regarding my own health care. So I feel like it would be the same way with law enforcement, but I guess maybe not. Yeah, I don't I don't know anything about it either, but it seems like um it seems like both healthcare and when it comes to law enforcement and like when lawyers represent you, there's client confidentiality. So Right. Right. And that's and that's exactly what I thought. I mean, he's like maybe he's not a suspect in this, but also like he was on the scene. So I feel like he shouldn't have access to those kinds of things. Not at all. In January of 2011, Sheriff David Shore asked the Florida Department of Law Enforcement to send an investigator to reopen the case after Shore was regularly contacted by Michelle's family members to find answers. Rusty Rogers, the new investigator, interviewed neighbors around the area where Jeremy Banks lived. Side to note, I don't trust anybody named Rusty. No offense to the Rusties out there, but... <laughs> That's Just a don't. very white name. <laughs> two women indicated that on the night in question, they heard two screams for help, likely coming from a woman's voice, and then two gunshots. Mm. Another huge question was why two gunshots? Sheriff Shore told ABC News that it is not uncommon for those thinking of suicide to fire a test shot before actually killing themselves. That's what the yeah, sheriff said. That's what the sheriff said. Now, I, you know, I didn't look this up or anything. I didn't look up any statistics about suicide, but like <laughs> a test shot for him? Yeah, I don't, I don't understand. I don't know either. And I'm not trying to laugh at suicide, but that just sounds to me coming from a sheriff. That sounds like, I don't know, BS. Yeah. But. Mm -hmm. Investigator Rogers provided a new tactic that hadn't been used for this case just yet. He requested that Michelle's daughter, Alexis, who lived in the house with Jeremy and Michelle, be interviewed by the University of Florida Child Protection Team. Five-year-old Alexis reported that she had in fact seen some violent behavior between her mother and Jeremy. She said that one time her mother begged Jeremy to stop, oh. but he hit Michelle with a belt. My gosh. Alexis also had ill feelings toward Jeremy, describing him as a, quote, bad person at one point during the interview. Time out. So since day one, we've been saying that this is a true crime podcast, but we're also going to have like social justice aspect and, you know, speak up for victims and all that. And it's like, that disgusts me. Yeah. You're going to beat your grown ass partner with a belt. Like she's a, even if, even if that is your child, what? Mm hmm. That's extreme, but it's sad. It's very sad. It is very sad. I didn't, I hadn't seen that part. I hadn't read anything about that. Yeah. 
At the same time that Alexis was being interviewed, Rusty Rogers was interviewing Jeremy about the night in question. Jeremy said during that in during that in their entire relationship, he only put hands on Michelle one time in order to restrain her. Another thing that investigator Rogers thought would be a good way to get some detailed information is hiring a crime scene reconstructionist. The main thing that they were trying to figure out was if Michelle could have actually shot herself or if it had to have been a homicide solely based on where the shell casings landed. In addition, Michelle was right-handed, but the gun was lying on her left side. Hmm. Of course, it isn't impossible for someone to commit suicide with their non-dominant hand, but it raises some eyebrows nonetheless. Almost immediately, the reconstructionist came to the conclusion that there was no way Michelle could have done this on her own. Her death had to be a homicide. So as soon as they bring in somebody from the outside, they see... They see the, well, he had to recreate the scene, but they see the scene for what it is. Yeah, exactly. Like immediately. Mm-hmm. All right. Investigator Rusty Rogers takes this information to Dr. Hobbin, the medical examiner. According to Ann Schindler in an interview, Dr. Hobbin said that Michelle's death was, quote, probably a homicide. Dr. Hobbin felt that this was true so much that he amended the death certificate from suicide to homicide but he never filed the amended certificate. He said the investigation was ongoing and the state attorney said to hold off on the filing. Not long after, Dr. Hobbin got in trouble with the state medical examiner's office for keeping classified documents at his home. This led authorities to consulting another medical examiner, Dr. Bullock, who said he had reason to believe that Michelle's death was a suicide. However, he didn't give any specific information about why he thought this or what the deciding factors were. So you could could just be a whole ass medical examiner and not support your findings with findings. Yeah, literally just, oh, well, it's suicide and not support your conclusion with any findings, like just stamp, you know, just stamp on the document, Mm -hmm. suicide. Next. Yeah. (laughs) In March of 2012, Michelle's family got bad news from the special prosecutor, Brad King. Brad was on this case, and he was in charge of prosecuting Jeremy Banks if he had enough evidence to do so. However, he tells the O'Connell family there is not enough evidence, and he would not be able to move forward with this case at this point in time. Fast forward to June of 2016. The O'Connell family had Michelle's body exhumed and asked another physician to examine her body and do another autopsy. Dr. William Anderson was currently a forensic pathologist, but was recently a deputy chief medical examiner for Orange County, Florida. He was hired by the O'Connell family's personal investigator, Clue Wright. During Dr. Anderson's autopsy, he discovered that Michelle's job, what? Is the perfect name for a PI. Clue Wright. Clue Wright. I even, I I Googled him and it's like Clue Wright's uh, private investigation page. I was like, this clue, like a clue in the investigation and right, like, wow. I wonder if that's his real name or if it's like a stage name. You know what I mean? That's what I was about to say. That's either destiny or Mm. clever about his marketing. (laughs) During Dr. Anderson's autopsy, he discovered that Michelle's jawbone had been broken into two pieces but he could not find this information in the autopsies completed before his. This was key information. 
In addition, he found that Michelle's mouth, including her gums, the soft tissue, and teeth were not demolished as he expected them to be. There was only a hole in her tongue. Dr. Anderson said that if the gunshot would have been what broke Michelle's jaw, there would be no way that her mouth would still be in good condition. He said he believes that the jaw break was from blunt force trauma prior to the gunshot that killed her. According to an article written by Joy Purdy, private investigator Wright also hired not one, but two forensic dentists to look at the O'Connell case. I didn't even know that there were forensic dentists. I knew that that dental records were huge in like identifying uh, people who, you know, might, might have been burned or disfigured right. or whatever, but I didn't know there was like specific forensic dentists. That's I didn't either, cool. honestly. I had no idea. Um, and there's one thing that I wanted to point out. I don't have the exact quote in front of me. Um, and to be honest, I don't have the quote because I did not want to type it. Like it was the, <laughs> and it's not because I'm lazy. I am lazy, but that's not why I didn't type this. Mm-hmm. I didn't type this because the sheriff, doctor, shoot, the sheriff, um, Shore, he was like dogging the O'Connell family for having Michelle's body exhumed and said something about the fact that they quote unquote molested her body. Oh, come on. Yeah. And so Michelle's, go ahead. Michelle's family was not happy about that at all. Keep in mind what Carly just said. She didn't feel like typing it out. So that lets our audience know we don't just copy and paste stuff. This is right. our actual notes. I just yeah. want to drop that in there. It definitely is. Big ups. <laughs> Jeremy Banks' attorney argued that if Michelle's jaw had been broken prior to her alleged suicide, there would have been some kind of bruising around that area. To that, Dr. Anderson replied that bruising wouldn't have had time to set in if the gunshot was right after the blunt force trauma to Michelle's jaw. Private investigator Clue Wright told News for Jax, which is a news station in Jacksonville, Florida, that there have been several pieces of evidence that were ignored and not collected or tested after the incident. These pieces of evidence include a bloody shirt and a gun holster that were inside the house when the crime scene photos were taken, and also a black medical glove that was found in Jeremy's car. So those are all the facts, Um, but I kind of want to go into, there's two speculation type things that I found on Reddit um, and Crime Watch Daily. And I don't know how true they are or where they got this information from. So that's why I'm kind of saying, you know, it's speculation. Um, But Reddit had a a huge thread on the Michelle O'Connell case. And um, they had, they, of course, linked their stuff. Um, And so both of these I found on Reddit. Um, The first one was actually derived from Mind of Mystery. And it reported that upon arriving to the scene, Jeremy Banks was reported smelling of cleanliness like he just took a shower. Hmm. In addition, water was found outside on the lawn and on his car, but it hadn't rained that day or the previous few days. However, Banks was never questioned on this. And the second thing is from Crime Watch Daily. And it says that, which I've heard this before. Um, I think I heard this in Crime Junkie. Uh, I believe that none of Jeremy's DNA was found on his own service weapon, 
only Michelle's DNA. Um, and that's weird to me because if, if he's a police officer and, you know, he touches his gun to put it in the holster, touches it to get it out, you know, all that kind of stuff, why would his DNA not be on it? Right. And like Carly said, this is speculation, but that sounds like somebody cleaned the gun thoroughly. Right. And, you know, put it in her hand and planted it, but speculation. Right. Mm-hmm. And there wasn't even any blood on the weapon either. So I don't know. I just kind of like if you're, and I don't want to be insensitive about this, but if you are committing suicide and you're holding a gun into your mouth and you shoot yourself, how's there no blood on the gun? Right. That's just very close. I think. If we were um, crime scene investigators, we would be talking about spatter. And I always thought that was funny when I was younger and I would watch CSI and they would say blood spatter because I always thought it was splatter, but I think there's a difference. Um, I don't know what the difference is, but you would think like, like Carly just said, we're not professionals, but you would think there would be at least some remnant of blood, you know, right. Um, That a forensic investigator would be able to find. But like I, like I said earlier, speculation sounds like the gun was cleaned. Exactly. Um, and so I read a couple of theories, but the one that sticks with me the most is that they think that, uh, you know, Jeremy wiped the gun off and this is still speculation. They think Jeremy wiped the gun off, like wrapped it up in some kind of towel or maybe even used the glove that they found in the car and, Mm -hmm. you know, like put her hand on it. Yeah. And made it seem like suicide. And printed it up. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Um, I also found on a Reddit thread uh, that said that the officers on the scene of the crime noted an odor of alcohol on Jeremy's breath. However, they just went to a concert. Um, Also, I don't know how true this is. Still speculation. I just found it on a Reddit thread and thought it would be interesting to put on here. Um, So, yeah, but that's, that's pretty much all I have for the actual case itself and what happened up to this point. Uh, Pinky's got some other information. Okay, so um, where the case of Michelle O'Connell, O'Connell's death stands today, um, back to ABC News. In 2017, the Florida Medical Examiner's Commission reprimanded Dr. Hoban or Hoban and Dr. How are you saying that? Bullock? Bullock. I said Bullock. Bullock. Uh-huh. Oh. I'm over here trying to sound ethnic Um, (laughs) for uh, reprimanded both of them for being careless and reckless. And Carly already touched on this a little bit, but a little bit more of uh, specifics. Hobbin was keeping confidential documents at his home rather than the medical examiner's office. And Bullock showed autopsy photos to people outside of Michelle's family. And that definitely rubbed me the wrong way um, for obvious reasons. You know, it's just very inconsiderate. It's just really, this yeah. girl is dead and you're supposed to be examining her to find out what happened and you're just out here showing right. pictures. Very unprofessional. And um, if you remember, the authorities involved in securing the helicopter crash scene involving Kobe and the others we lost in the tragic accident did the exact same thing. Um, like I said, very, very distasteful, very disgusting. And props to Vanessa Bryant for her amazing strength and for taking action to prevent other families from having their grief process exposed to the public eye. Um, that That is just the wildest thing ever to me. Even for someone like you who loves true crime, who loves forensics, 
um, for someone like me who likes suspense. Like I would never want to see autopsy photos or crime scene photos of anyone, probably not even my own family members, but who desires to see that, you know, like who desires to see that and who desires to show people that, especially if that's your line of work, if that's your bread and butter, if that's how you earn a living, you would jeopardize it just to show people some, some pictures. Right. And if anybody doesn't know, I work at a law office and we've had a couple of cases where there have been autopsy photos and I just absolutely cannot imagine, you know, sending these to my family members or my friends and being like, oh my goodness, look at this. Like, what is wrong with people? Yeah. Yeah. And normally I say no judgment, but all the judgment, like <laughs> all yeah. the judgment for that one. For real. Oh, um, and Carly mentioned this as well, but Dr. Hoban, Hoban also failed to document the fracture in the jawbone. Um, how do you miss that? Yeah, honestly. How do you I miss mean, that besides being like hella careless? It was, it was like in half. I could have, I'm not even a medical examiner. I couldn't tell you how to take an x-ray, but if I looked at one, I could tell you that that was broken. Right. <sighs> and in spring of 2018, a judge found that the FDLE agent, Rusty, cannot be trusted. Rusty Rogers had probable cause to detain Banks for homicide and dismiss Banks' civil lawsuit in Rogers' favor. And this is where it gets super juicy, people. It gets real wabbish up in here. Um, in early 2019, an independent researcher who was investigating Michelle's case was found shot dead. News for Jax states that the death of Ellie Marie Washtock was ruled a homicide and the killer is still on the loose. Ellie identified as both male and female and was found by their son. The son called Ellie's father to let him know he wasn't going to school today because his dad was dead. <clears throat> and they they specified that um, the son referred to Ellie as a uh, father. So I'm not misgendering or anything here. I got you. He said his grandson told him that the condo door was ajar and the lock was broken off. Washtock's father said he believes Washtock saw red flags the night before the killing. And this is a quote. What I heard was that he put the son in a downstairs apartment two floors down because he was afraid of what was going to happen or something was going to happen and he didn't want him getting hurt. And that's the father who said that. Uh -huh. He said he believes the private research into the Connell case could be linked to Washtock's death. Another quote. I think if it wasn't, if he wasn't looking into that or if he wasn't involved with that or whatever, yeah, I think he would still be alive. That's my gut feeling. Wow. Investigators said the leads have disappeared. No suspects have been named and no arrests have been made in the case. News for Jax learned that Washtalk made one public request of the St. John's County Sheriff's Office on August 22, 2018 for scene photos of the night O'Connell died. The St. John's County Sheriff's Office released one disc, which was picked up on August 30th and charged the individual $7.50 for it. Even though Washtock's death occurred in St. John's County, the Putnam County Sheriff's Office was asked to take over the investigation to avoid a potential conflict of interest because of the St. John, John's County Sheriff's Office involvement in the O'Connell case. And this is what Carly was talking about earlier. You would think that Jeremy uh, would have a conflict of interest. There would be a conflict of interest there that he could access this stuff when he was involved in the incident. 
Um, for similar reasons, the Florida Department of Law Enforcement declined to help preserve and process the shooting scene, according to an FDLE spokesperson. So that is what we have for um, the Michelle O'Connell case. Like we said, we're calling it the death because um, it was ruled a, a suicide. Um, and then and then the other investigator changed it to a homicide or said it was a homicide. Um, I'm leaning towards homicide. What about you? Yep, homicide is what I'm going with. And also, I wanted to point this out. I had I found no evidence that Jeremy Banks was ever. Uh, uh, I mean, like he wasn't laid off. He didn't get fired. He didn't anything. He's actually still a sheriff's deputy. So, I just I don't know. I can't remember if I've talked about this on what a crime to be alive before or not but um my cousin guy thomas who was uh killed over in ironton um he was drugged under a police car for like nine blocks and um he succumbed to his injuries and passed away but um the the person who did that to him got another job um like a village over and is basically a sheriff now so i mean we're, we're not bashing cops we have our we have our views on some on some police officers um we're not bashing cops at all but it seems like that accountability is lacking for sure within many police departments in america um there is uh probably distrust of police all around the world but especially here in america you can see that um, sometimes they don't always get consequences for their actions. And, uh, yeah. Um, we didn't do a crime of the week because we just did an update of the Michelle O'Connell case, but I do want to speak a little bit about last week's episode. We got a really, really great response on the Ashland tragedy episode. Um, shout out to Josh Blanton who shared our post and did some investigating of his own and he's sent us a lot of cool material a lot of stuff that um i wouldn't say we missed but a lot of stuff that wasn't readily accessible so we said before we said last week that we're going to do a follow-up on it but um we we might even try to do like an interview style or have a guest with him or someone you know in the town who has been looking into the case for many years um but there, there was just such a positive amount of feedback that we will definitely plan a follow-up episode in 2021 and you guys let us know if you want any other follow-up episodes for the the victims and cases we've covered already right and also um i I guess it was just, you know, like, like Pinky said, like, Josh really promoted um, our last episode. Um, and like, more people saw it. And so that in turn, more people suggested cases for us. Mm -hmm. And that's great. Like, I mean, we will cover these cases as as long as we can find enough information to make an episode, we will cover these cases. So if you have something that you think is interesting, or uh, something that happened, you know, in distant family or whatever it may be, let us know and we will cover it. I mean, we have a, a calendar of the cases that we want to try, but 
we can always fit some in. Yeah. Um, we have that. We have our episodes set up throughout the end of January, right? Right. And next week we'll be doing Tamla Horsford, but um, we've been switching a few things around anyway. But yeah, like Carly said, if there's anything that you want to see, I've started a new Google Doc because that's how we, you know, stay organized with our notes and stuff. I started a new Google Doc with suggestions. So far, people have asked us to cover, um, there's a Russian YouTuber who um, his girlfriend ended up dead. And I haven't looked into it yet, but I'm pretty sure he's a suspect or maybe they know he did it for sure. Um, There was another... Uh, I wouldn't say local case, but a Boyd County native involved in um, a murder and the body being found in Dayton. Oh, yeah, that's right. There was another one. Oh, Poke. Poke ain't no joke. (laughs) Matt Dixon, um, he suggested Mary Pitts. Yes. And there's there's several. There's several that we're going to get to, and we're glad to receive the feedback. And like I said, next week is Tamla Horsford. So put that in your mind right now. If there's anything you've heard, if there's anything you want to share, if there's anything that you suspect, send that to us and we'll be sure to include it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because all of these, I mean, like this case, uh, Jan Nysel, um, there's all kinds of cases that we do that are not, they don't have concrete endings. And mm-hmm. while that sucks, like I hate it that they don't have concrete endings. I love, um, I don't know, I just feel like it's, so relaxing to have a concrete ending and have have a case finished but i mean i we want to hear your thoughts too and and see kind of what you think about it um because we do this every week we look up stuff we're i mean kind of immune to all the violence <laughs> like it's just yeah. like somebody we're doing somebody died or there's a serial killer or whatever but you know tell us what you think yeah let us know what you think and like carly said like we're kind of immune to it. So <laughs> once we're done, and I'm, I'm just saying this right now, I don't know if Carly agrees or not, but like once we're done with what we already have planned for January, we might take like a one or two week break and like kind of yeah. decompress and become normal people. Yeah, again. so I can have like <laughs> my sensitivity back. And then we'll, we'll start back with the, the fresh new cases. There is one, um, and like we stated before, we cover all types of crimes all over the place. But since people are starting to, you know, listen a lot more throughout Kentucky, we keep getting these Kentucky crime suggestions. And let me go through my DMs. So um, Garfield, shout out to G, he suggested that we cover the Bluegrass Conspiracy. Have you heard of that? No, I have not. Okay, so he said he's reading the book. Um, I'll get a hold of the book. And like I said, 2021. Yeah, we'll tell him to hit me up. But... He said, and I quote, I believe it's one of, one of, if not the oldest cold case in Kentucky history. And supposedly it's about Lexington PD slinging that dope. Oh, I'm in there like swimwear, baby. Yep. But that is all we have for tonight. Yep. So I guess we will see you next week. And Tamla Horsford is what we're going to be covering. Mm-hmm. make sure you uh leave us a review on this give us five stars on apple um give us some reviews whatever you need to do share like whatever um but we will be back next week and covering tamla horsford appreciate it
Bye. Follow Baby Flamingo.